Well, good morning. It is so good to see so many of you. I would imagine most people here have not been in church for like five months, and so the fact that you are back, it is good for the heart and for the soul. I'm excited for this morning. My name is Kyle. I serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, and one of the clearest evidences of grace in my life uh, is I have a great, lovely wife named Lindsay. We've been married for six plus years. Uh, but, and I know that's a dangerous but to say, uh, but that doesn't mean there aren't times we still annoy each other like crazy. Uh, and there's not that many things that we annoy each other with, but one thing that drives my wife up the walls uh, happens all the time, and it always starts and finishes the same way. That's how it starts. Uh, we'll sit down in the evening to watch the nightly national news, and we'll start watching it, and uh, I have great commentary as they deliver the news. At least I think so. Lindsay doesn't so much appreciate it. Because it kind of starts, and it's some terrible story about destruction. And then it's an awful story about death. And then there's a really depressing story about politics. And without fail, in complete seriousness, I'll look over to Lindsay and say, Linz, I'm pretty sure it's the end of the world this week. And Linz thinks she's so smart. Because she looks at me and says, you said that last week. Like, I really think it's this week, though. And then we'll kind of start this back and forth banter where I'm, you know, insisting that we invest more money in gold and that we should stockpile some more weapons for the zombie apocalypse, whatever might happen. And eventually she says, Kyle, that's enough. Stop watching the news. Do something more constructive. To which my thought's always been, what's more constructive than making the blueprint for our bunker we can live in for six to nine months, eating canned tuna and powdered milk, right? But, but here's why I tell you this. And when I told Lindsay I was going to tell that story, she's like, they're going to think you're joking, but that happens every week. Um, and I tell you that because today we were finishing up a series titled, Hey Jesus, where we've been looking at the different questions that people have asked Jesus across his ministry. And today we get to a question that someone asked Jesus 2,000 years ago that has incredible relevance today. Namely, hey Jesus, when are you coming back? When's the end of the world going to happen? And I'm obviously being somewhat kind of goofy about it, but when you look at the garbage pile that 2020 has been, like in 2020, if you can remember this, Australia was burning to a crisp. And then there was like a global pandemic. We're locked up in our homes, right? Political chaos, racial injustice, uh, national, international incivility and just dysfunction. And then Stink and Tom Brady shows up in a Bucks J. So don't tell me at least once you haven't thought, man, it feels pretty bad right now. Like, are we getting any closer to the end? And maybe from just a heartbrokenness standpoint, when you look at all the real suffering and the real chaos and the real tragedy, it's hard not to ask the question, Jesus, when are you coming back? Because now feels like a really good time. All jokes aside, have you ever thought about that question? Do you ever think on Jesus' return? How much is his second coming influencing and shaping your here and now? And if you don't think about it, if it's not shaping your here and now, why isn't it? Well, maybe because it's been 2,000 years. And so you're just playing the odds. I don't really need to think about it because the likelihood to come back in my little 75-year blip, it just 
It's unlikely. Maybe you don't think about it because the whole idea, it feels kind of far-fetched. Like when you read the biblical picture of like the sky splitting open and Jesus coming back on the clouds, it's just, I don't know, it feels like a fairy tale. I don't really need to think about that. Maybe you don't think about it because you don't really want him to come back. Like there's a lot of things, that, you know, on earth you're still looking forward to experiencing. Like you want to get married or you want to know what having kids are like. Or you want to know what it's like to, you know, make it to whatever spot in your career that you want to make it. Or you want to know what it's like to have grandkids. And so it, I don't need to think about him coming back because there's still too much to enjoy here. Maybe you don't think about him coming back because you're afraid. Right? Like if questions reveal heart, what's the heart behind Jesus, when are you coming back? Well, maybe it's fear. Because deep down you know that time is limited. And you got this feeling like you might be squandering it. It's so kind of similar to the teenage kid who needs to know when mom and dad are coming back after they're away for a week and so we can kind of clean up from that rager he just threw. Like you want to know when he's going to come back. But if you're not asking the questions, because like, I don't know, ignorance is bliss. I don't want to confront what that would mean. Why don't we think about Christ's second return all that often? Because here's the reality. The Bible is steeped in Christ's return. I was blown away this week studying. So get this. In the New Testament, there's 260 chapters. 316 verses are about Christ's second coming. That's one verse for every 13. For every one prophecy about Jesus' first advent, there's eight for a second. Think about the New Testament. Why do we even have it? It's how to live faithfully as you wait patiently for Christ to return. So the Bible is consumed with the idea that Christ is coming back soon. And so my one simple goal this morning is, I'll tell you up front, I just want us to leave here a little more ready than how we arrived here. That we'd be thinking more about Christ coming back. So if you have your Bibles, open to Mark 13 and go to verse 32. Uh, as you flip there, I'm just going to give you a little context for Mark 13. Mark 13 is the last week of Jesus' life. And so he's having a ton of super intense conversations because time is short. And he's talking with his disciples. The disciples are having this kind of side conversation. And not unlike a bunch of bros who'd be listening to Joe Rogan nowadays, they start talking about the end of the world. And they look to Jesus in verse 4 and they say, What are the signs that the end is near? When will you come back? And Jesus kind of has some super ominous things that he's talking about, like false messiahs and teachers with these crazy signs and wonders. The temple's going to be destroyed, intense persecution, the cosmic chaos, like there's blood moons. And then he gets to verse 32, our text for the day. He says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home. He puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And so what I say to you, I say to all, Stay awake. Jesus wins the end. And here's what the king of glory says. 
I don't know. Like, how can Jesus not know the end? Even the minds have a calendar, bro. How, does it, how can we think through Jesus being God but not knowing when the end's coming? Does that kind of collide? Well, think through why Jesus doesn't know. We just do one minute of kind of historical theology. All right, so all throughout church history, uh, we, Christians have believed that Jesus is 100% fully God, 100% fully man. That is, he's not 50-50. He's not God who pretended to be man for a little bit. He's not man who lived a holy, perfect, righteous life. No, he's fully God, fully man. And somehow, some way, his godness doesn't impinge on his humanity, nor does his humanity impinge on his godness. And if that feels kind of like a tension that's hard to reconcile, it's because it is, right? It's divine mystery. But in the 5th century, the Council of Chalcedon said, you have to believe that Christ has two natures to be a Christian. And it's actually what we still affirm today as the orthodox view of the incarnation, that is Jesus in flesh. And I know that kind of sounds like a lot of jargon, but if you just read the Gospels, it's pretty clear. Human nature, Jesus grew in wisdom. Divine nature, he knew what people were thinking all the time. Human nature, Jesus got hungry. Divine nature, multiplied fish and bread. Human nature, Jesus grew up. He was a 30-year-old man. Divine nature, Alpha and Omega, he's eternal. Human nature, he doesn't know the exact date of his return. Divine nature, he knows he's coming back in power and glory and honor. So when we come to Mark 13, and we don't need to get hung up on a detail that's much more minor to the text than, than we sometimes make it out to be. Because what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I don't know the date, but here's what I do know. The directive. I know how you're supposed to live. Two words, stay awake. All right, I'm going to read the text one more time kind of quickly, but I want you to pay attention to the language of just being vigilant. He says, concerning the day or the hour, no one knows. Not the angels, not the son, only the father. So be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man who goes on a journey. He leaves. He puts his servants in charge. They have work. But to the doorkeeper, he says, stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come. It could be the evening, the midnight, when the rooster crows, in the morning. But lest he come suddenly and find you asleep, what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Four times in five verses, Jesus says, stay awake. So let me just pause and ask, are you awake right now? Are you on the lookout for Christ coming back? And when you think of awakeness, what does that even look like? What's it mean for your here now to be shaped by the fact that Christ is coming back soon? Kind of the, the word picture I've had in my head all week is, what's it like to live on your tiptoes? Right, because your tiptoes, you're agile. You're on the look, you're thinking, oh, today could be the day. And I'm hoping to stay, I'm living like it's today. But I'm alert. I'm vigilant. I'm awake. Right, that's what Jesus says. Get on your tiptoes. Be awake for this because it's going to come when you don't expect it. So what does that actually look like? What does it look like to live awake, to live on your tiptoes? 
at least the Bible says two things about this. All right, and here's the first thing of what it means to stay awake. That we are a people honed in on holiness. Right? To live on your tiptoes, you are honed in on personal holiness. And here's why I say that. The New Testament, hundreds of commands. Do this, don't do that. Almost every single command is tied to because he's coming back soon. So the New Testament authors, they're all sitting right in the same thing. He's coming back soon, so take, make holiness a really big deal. You don't want to fall asleep. Stay in your tiptoes. Be passionate in your holiness. That's why John says in 1 John 3, he says, if your hope is in the return, if your hope is in the gospel, if your hope is in what Christ said, man, you better live pure because he was pure. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is the same conversation that we're talking about in Mark. But in Matthew, Jesus tells a story. He says, when I come back, he's like, it's like there's a master and there's two servants. One's good, one's wicked. So the master leaves. Suddenly he comes back. And the good servant he finds living out his holiness, living how he was called to live. And then he sees the second wicked servant and that servant isn't given a rip about anything, right? The text says he's beating people up, he's eating till he's stuffed, spending his days drankston. Is what Jesus says in verse 50. All of a sudden, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour, he doesn't know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. And that day, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hear the severity of Christ's words here. Right, you need to stay awake. You need to be honed in on holiness. Because that does not end well for the wicked servant. No, the master's gone, but he's coming back soon. And so the first thing will be on your tiptoes. Now we make a big deal of holiness. But here's the objection that we all have, and we all kind of think of it the same way. Holiness is hard. Holiness is discipline. Holiness means you cut stuff away and you add things too. And so kind of what I think, we all think of holiness the same way, and that holiness is great one day later. Holiness is a great ideal, maybe tomorrow. Like, we all think we have plenty of time to live out holiness. Because I really should, you know, spend time with God, become like God. So I'll, I really should pray more and maybe read my Bible more, maybe fast, maybe journal. So I'll probably do that when I get more time. You know, I really should stop sleeping around. Probably shouldn't watch so much porn. So I'll probably stop when I get married. I really should spend all my weekends partying, but I'm pretty young. I'll wait till I get a little older, then I'll calm down. I really shouldn't invest in my marriage more, be a little more intentional with my kids, so I probably will when they get a little older and they're a little more interesting. I know I'm spending my whole life and energy. I'm going after money. I'm trying to accumulate as much as I can, but once I get enough, then I'll stop. I don't really know if what God wants for me is to spend eight hours every day just watching Netflix. 
but when the pandemic's over, then I'll get more serious about it. Holiness is great. One day. And if that's you, just hear the words of Jesus. Wake up. Stay awake. Get on your tiptoes. And get honed in on your holiness. And if you're thinking, why is holiness such a big deal? Why does it matter? Because the biblical answer is easy. Internal holiness is about external witness. Right? The Bible says, be holy as he is holy, so that people will look at you and see him. And so if the first aspect of staying awake is being honed in on holiness, here's the second. That we'd be urgent with the mission. That we'd be singularly focused on spreading the gospel. Because the time is short. Let me just ask you, if you knew the end was coming on Wednesday, how would that change your priorities today? Or let me ask it a little more reflectively. If you look at your priorities now, are you living like the end could be on Wednesday? I don't know how you'd answer that, but for me, I know how I would. Uh, do you remember the movie, The Titanic? Like Cinema excellence, right? Leo, James Cameron, awesome. Uh, so the ship goes down in the end. It's a terrible movie. Um, but in the movie, do you remember the scene when the ship's sinking? And there's the musicians, the violin, the cello, and they sit down and they start playing music just to kind of make things more comfortable. That's kind of what I feel like my life is like. Like the ship's going down, and I'm just trying to make it a little easier. Let's make sure people enjoy their time. When the call for the Christian is, help people get to the lifeboat. Help their salvation for you, just direct them the right direction. That's living with urgency. I don't know if there's anything that's lulling us to sleep more than our priorities. And guess, you know me, and if you don't know me, I would love to get to know you. I am not anti-fun, I am not anti-relaxing, I'm not anti-vacation. There's so many good gifts that God has given us, so go out and enjoy them and worship him for it. But I also know that time is really short. And I know that nobody wants to live, and when they get to 85, look back and think, ugh. I just wasted so much time focusing on things that sunk to the bottom of the ocean anyway. No, God says, you want to live on your tiptoes? Be urgent with the mission. I don't see a ton of our priorities, self-included, being so focused on, I'm going to live and help as many people walk with God as I can. I see a lot of how can I live the happiest, healthiest, longest life? What path can I put myself on that will set me up for comfort? What do I want to do with my life? How can I marry the perfect person, have the perfect kids, get the perfect house and the perfect vacation? That is lulling us to sleep. That's not even sleep, that's a coma. Jesus says, wake up, get on your tiptoes. Live on mission. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 5. Make the best use of your time. Because the time is short, the days are evil. Right? That's urgency. That's priority. You know, Paul's a guy also who he lived on his tiptoes. 
one verse that's just been uh, very transformational for me, I know for a lot of people, is Acts 20, 24. Because if Acts 24, 20, Paul says, I don't count my life of any value nor precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I'm not wasting my priorities on stuff that doesn't matter. I'm not wasting my time on trivialities. I'm clear. I know what God's called me to do. Help as many people walk with God as possible because he's coming back soon. So I'm going to set my life up. I'm going to be as strategic as I can where I'm going to encounter as many lost people as I can to help them know Jesus. Because you get to 85, you look back at that, and you're going to say, maybe I didn't have the best vacation. Maybe I didn't have the nicest house. But I saw God move in crazy ways because I jumped into his mission. I didn't maximize my 70 years here by thinking about my 70 years here. I was crazy about gospel. I'm super uh, blessed and fortunate to have two friends that I meet with every other week. Uh, And we meet in the morning and we just try to promote each other uh, into holiness. We try to help each other walk with God. Uh, And it's been super beneficial for my soul. And this last Tuesday we met uh, in that room right over there. And we started talking about two ideas. We were talking about clarity in the gospel and urgency with the gospel. Now these two other guys and myself, we're all in very different seasons of life. And we all live in very different spheres of life. And so as we're talking about clarity and urgency, we kind of had this collective moment where we said, we're all clear on what the gospel is. We all know who Jesus is. We know what he's called us to do. But we're all apathetic in the urgency of the gospel. And why is that? Talk for a couple minutes is pretty clear. Priorities. If I can just simplify that. We just don't care that much. And so praise God for these guys because we're all trying to run after Jesus the best we can. We just challenged ourselves and we said, guys, we're going to set the bar as low as possible. This week, talk to one person about Jesus. Might be crazy awkward. Could be crazy awesome. Maybe somewhere in between. But just talk to one person about Christ. Because if, if we all did that, This time next year, over 150 people will have heard about Jesus Christ, right? That's moving towards an urgency. That's moving towards mission. Think of a church our size. If we said, this week, we're all going to talk to one person about Christ. One conversation. I might fall flat on my face. It's going to be okay. But I'm just going to talk to one person. Over the course of a year, tens of thousands of people will have heard about Jesus. Like, come on, that is living with urgency. That is saying, my priority is helping all people walk with God. It's not just a cool sign that someone lit up on the wall. Like, we are serious about this. One conversation this week. That's what it looks like to be awake, to have this urgency. And so whatever you got, you got time, invest it. You got talent, invest it. You got treasure, invest it. But get on mission, live urgently, because that's how Christ calls us to live. He says, stay awake because you don't know when I'm coming back. 
Live on your tiptoes. What's that mean? It means we're honed in on holiness. It means we're urgent with the mission. I'm going to just close today and just have an acknowledgement of kind of where we're all at. So if you've been zoning out, this is the moment to get back in. Right? This is, if nothing else, remember this moment. Clear your head and just realize where you're sitting. Now think about this. In the history of the world, across all time, all places, there has never existed a person who is closer to seeing Jesus than you are right now. You are the closest anyone's ever been. So are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to return? If you're a follower of Jesus, you've put your faith in him, how are you doing with holiness? How are you doing with urgency of the mission? What are your priorities? He's coming back soon. If you're not a believer in Jesus, that is, you've never confessed your sin, you never put your faith in him, I can just tell you, you're not ready. You don't want Christ to come back quite yet. And the reason Jesus hasn't come back yet, the Bible makes it really clear in 2 Peter. Peter says, the Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise. He's not slow to come back. No, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Like, just don't go to sleep tonight if you haven't made a relationship with Christ. Don't go to work tomorrow. It's going to be unexpected. It's going to be suddenly. And at that moment, and it's game over. You're in or you're out. So today, where you're sitting... Man, if you would acknowledge your sin, if you would say, I know I need Christ. I need his life for me. I know that what I've been trying to do, man, this, this ship is sinking. And I don't want to go down on it. I know there needs to be something more. And I believe that Christ is the life raft then you are ready for him to return. If you take that one step towards the cross today, you've never been closer to seeing Christ than you are right now. Are you ready? We're going to spend a few minutes reflecting on two questions as uh, the band plays, and then we'll get back into worship. And here are the two questions to think through this morning. If you are a follower of Christ, what is keeping you asleep to the reality of Christ's return? Right, reflect. Identify. Maybe let it lead to confession, let it lead to repentance, but let it lead to the grace of the gospel. Second question, if you're not a follower, what is keeping you from waking up? Why do you find it so hard to jump in the life raft?
And if that leads to further conversation today, this morning, that would be amazing. Let's take a few moments together and think through these questions.